This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. My guests this week are Andrew Phelan and John Potter, co-hosts of Magnified Pod, a podcast dedicated to Christian alt music. Their first season focused on the MXPX discography. Their second season was dedicated to the Five Iron Frenzy catalog, and through the course of that season, they became friends with the band members themselves. In this conversation, we learn about Andrew and John's stories, the role of music in their lives, and why some music from labels like Tooth & Nail have staying power even though they no longer identify as evangelicals. You can find their podcast anywhere you listen to shows, and links to their show on Spotify are in the show notes. If you appreciate this podcast, there's a few things you can do to support the show. First, you can tell other people about it. Second, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Believe it or not, in 2021, that still matters. You can also support the show via a paid subscription to the Post-Evangelical Post newsletter available at postevangelicalpost.com. There are also free tiers available. You can follow the show on Instagram at exvangelicalpod, and you can follow Blake on Twitter at brchastain. This episode was produced by Jake Lewis. Thank you very much, Jake. All right, everyone, let's get into it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Exvangelical. My guests this week are the co-hosts of the Magnified Pod, John Potter and Andrew Phelan. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Well, John, uh, Andrew, thank you so much for joining me. I've actually had the pleasure of being on your show a while back, which we'll get into. Your show is focused on the Christian alt music scene. Um, But before we get into that, I'd want to learn a little bit about each of you and sort of your backgrounds, especially as it relates to this show. We like to talk just about um, your initial religious background and, and how you sort of responded to that. So, Andrew, do you want to go first and then John? Yeah, definitely. Sure. Um, I before before we did this, I was <laughs> sending sending John some Marco Polos and stuff that I was like, <laughs> I'm like, look, man, I'll do my best to not like steamroll and like talk too much because like <laughs> as for people who aren't familiar with our podcast, we're a long form podcast, meaning our average episode is clocks in about two and a half hours. Yeah. And and so I, I'm already being long-winded in my explanation about being long-winded, <laughs> but I just, I, it's, it's hard for me to discuss like my, uh, my background, my religious background in history and leave out so much about it because it's, I just feel like there's so much that defines a person's spiritual and religious identity, especially when one goes through a deconversion, you know, there's, there's so many pieces to that. And so I grew up, uh, the son of a, of a PK, I'm a PK. Uh, and so we moved around a little bit for my dad's, my dad's job. And so we were, I was born in Chicago. We moved to Florida. We moved to Kansas, um, where my dad was a pastor of a covenant, an evangelical covenant church in Kansas. And then we moved to the Chicago, Northwest suburbs of Chicago in like 94. And he started working for a seminary, North Park Seminary. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that was where the university was where I would eventually go to college. Um, and through a lot of my childhood, I, I became sort of preoccupied with, with the idea of sin and that concept of sin, when you learn about that as a, as an elementary school kid, it's a, it's a pretty fucked up idea to explain to a child that no matter how good you try in life and how, no matter how much you effort to be, you know, a good kid, you're, you're a sinner. And even, even your thoughts, even you can't escape it. And that sort of way of explaining it, that you're just like, you're always inherently bad in a way, Mm. uh, that, that fucked me up. And I still remember that conversation. I still remember that having that explained to me and I'm, I'm 37 now. And that's some shit that I'm still processing because I think that kind of set me on this course toward self-hatred because of my inability to not quote unquote sin. And so I became sort of self-flagellating this, like, why am I not good enough? I'm just a terrible sinner. God, please forgive me. Why can't I stop jerking off? I'm so, I'm so, I'm all this shame, like going through this period of my life where, you know, you're just an adolescent, you're a preteen, you're a teenager, you're in high school and you're trying to navigate. Okay. So how am I, how am I supposed to be a good Christian uh, when there's just so much, you, you, you have all of these feelings as you're growing up and you have no, you're not given any, uh, you don't have any tools. The church doesn't give you any tools to figure it out. It's, you're like, you pray about it and that's it. And so my one tool was prayer and prayer decidedly did not work for me at all. And as somebody who has strived for authenticity and has done my best to be real, uh, I didn't want to fake it. So I'm like, why is this not working? Why am I not, why, why do I keep sinning? Why am I still terrible? Um, and that kind of, that concept of, and that idea of self-hatred kind of stuck with me, uh, long after college and I just still had no tools. And it wasn't really until uh, about 2013 when I, after some failed attempts at therapy, went back to therapy and started on medication uh, to deal with my severe anxiety and depression. And it was only once I started on that medication and the therapy that I started being able to assess what I believed for the first time in my entire life, because I just, 
I was starting to loosen, loosen the binds of, of the church right around the time uh, I was turning 30. And I had ultimately stopped going to church in my late 20s because of the way the church was treating the LGBTQ community. I wanted nothing to do with it anymore. Um, but I was still afraid uh, to call myself anything but a Christian. Uh, I was, it, it made me nervous to even broach that idea. But once I started going to therapy and I freed up extra space that was no longer being taken up by anxiety and depression, I started asking myself difficult questions for the first time. And once you pulled that, once I pulled that thread, it all just unraveled really, really fast. And I was like, no, I don't believe in this anymore. I don't believe in God anymore. I don't know if I have for a long time. And it took me a long time to uh, even say the word agnostic. It took me longer to even say atheist um, because of what I thought people might think about me. And for a number of years after that, I was kind of angry, which I think a lot of post-Christian people tend to be. And uh, I, I, I tried to find community of other like-minded people because I'm like, I'm not going to church and I don't know who to talk to about this. Who do I talk to about like, cause so many of my friends were still Christians. I didn't have any atheist friends. I'm like, who do I talk to? I don't know. And I went on that journey of trying to find humanist and secular organizations to meet mm -hmm. people. And, um, I also, that's not always easy. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's not because the thing that's different is you find finding someone post Christian versus someone who grew up atheist or grew up humanist because they don't, and they don't know the language of the church. They mm -hmm. don't understand why anybody would necessarily be Christian to begin with. They, there's, uh, you know, an anti-theist strain mm -hmm. within the secular atheist, uh, um, humanist community. And that wasn't me. And so I, I, after some doing that for a little bit, I just ultimately stopped going because it just didn't feel like my people, didn't feel like a community that understood me. Mm -hmm. And I then decided I wanted to go to seminary as an effort to just better understand people of faith and to better understand myself and what I what I believe, not in any sense of like trying to convince myself of anything, but to just learn and mm -hmm. um, with an emphasis on interfaith dialogue, mm -hmm. because I still, that still matters to me. Um, and, you know, <laughs> the reality is that a majority of my friends and family are all still people of faith. And, I don't have too many atheist friends mm. and it just kind of goes back to what I was saying that when we talk about stuff on the podcast, like 
people who grew up in this Christian scene, mm-hmm. people who were there, people who went to Cornerstone Festival or went to the you know Heart and Soul Cafe in the northwest suburbs of Chicago to see shows. It was such a strange and beautiful time, and I still have a nostalgia for it. But like, you know, it's it's still it still has meaning to me, even even though it's like I hold some of it at a distance. Right. Um, yeah, that was sort of a golden age of <laughs> of youth group culture and yes. and some of these musical things. That, yes. Yeah, and I was nearby. Uh, actually where where you were i was in naperville um in the yeah. southwest suburbs yeah and it was a similar sort of scene and different different things were around um, we can certainly get to that in the latter yeah. half of our conversation but sure. you raise a very interesting point there that a lot of these things we still are nostalgic for even if it is yeah something we that we might cringe at now <laughs> like <laughs> yes there's still plenty of that <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, thank you for for sharing a bit of your story. Are you currently attending seminary or what, how has that part of things developed and how has that been since you are no longer the type of person of faith that you were before? Well, you know, it, it's something that I recognized while being in seminary, this idea of religious privilege that exists within Christianity. And almost any time, you know, and almost any time you're talking interfaith, it's, there's almost always going to be more Christians at the table. Um, And there's almost never going to be secular or non-theist thinkers invited to the table of interfaith. Mm. And I think there needs to be, I feel like there needs to be more work around that because when, you know, when you think about a lot of the values people hold within a humanist community of people, Mm -hmm. it's not too different than what many on the, progressive left in like the Christian, like the Christian left Mm -hmm. would identify as their values. And yes, the Christian left might be a little bit more, they might, you know, like say some of their values are rooted in, in the teachings, the teachings of Jesus or the sermon on the Mount or something like that. But, um, they're similar values nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why I, I opted to go to a um, a pretty progressive seminary in Chicago. It's a seminary that would welcome someone who didn't believe in God. And I wasn't the only one. But, you know, I, I definitely at, at times felt like, my voice in certain certain cases wasn't always validated or affirmed, but that was an exception, not the rule. And I was part of a an interfaith 
cohort while I was there. And, you know, while, you know, I haven't ended up doing much post post seminary, I still feel like it was a valuable time of taking time to really engage in, in these conversations. And, you know, I went, did a study trip to Israel, which was an extremely profound experience. Hmm. Um, and it introduced me to people like uh, Chris Stedman, who is another atheist interfaith uh thinker and teacher. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's somebody that I've admired deeply and, um, you know, he was one of the, (laughs) I, I met him in person for the first time right before the pandemic started because we both live in the twin cities Mm -hmm. and I ran into him at a Bernie rally (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and nice. I was like, I'm like, oh shit, that's Chris. And so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's, he's a, he's a great dude. And I, yeah. and I kind of used his book, Faithiest as a kind of a template for what I was trying to advocate when I was in seminary. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And thank you for answering that question. I, I think that's interesting. That space can be really interesting and sometimes difficult for people to occupy just because there's like cerebral sort of mental intellectual element of things like what we now call deconstruction and yeah. and all of those things. Um, and then there's also like a lot of emotional work. And sometimes yes. it's those even like over the last few months for me personally, like witnessing things in the news has made me like weirdly emotional about stuff and kicked up things that I thought (laughs) I had resolved a long time ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So thank you for answering that question. And thank you for, for sharing some of your story, John, how about you? Um, what was your early exposure and a relationship to uh, religion and Christianity like? And, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel a little steamrolled, but I'll. I'll <laughs> Just kidding. God Andrea. damn it, John! <laughs> you can tell that these guys have a really strong rapport. <laughs> Bust each other's yeah. chops quite a bit. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, I I often say that I kind of have always existed on the the periphery of the evangelical world, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I feel like I've been spared a lot of the trauma that many of my friends are unpacking in different ways. Um, but I grew up Episcopalian. And so I think I didn't get a lot of the shame and the hell focus that a lot of my friends are still wrestling with. Um, but what was the sort of shared cultural experience, uh, for me and Andrew and this kind of community we've, we've created over on our show is like this, we talk about the Christian bookstore alternate universe Mm -hmm. uh, that existed in the nineties. And Blake, we talked a little bit about this when you were on our show that like, whether you were at a mainline church or an evangelical church or whatever, there were sort of like, there was like a a youth group starter kit that everybody got in the (laughs) nineties. And we were all reading the NIV teen study Bible (laughs) and we were all watching, you know, whatever, you know, as you said, like, 
the publishers of a lot of the materials that we were getting and the music that we were getting and right. the cultural stuff that made up the youth group experience and the conferences and acquire the fire and all that stuff all came from evangelical publishers and, yep. and people. So that stuff seeped in big time, regardless of what I was hearing, you know, in regular service. Um, I was certainly more engaged in the youth group world that offered uh, MXPX and Christian bands that I was not aware of before getting involved in, in youth groups. So I was never um, the kind of kid who wasn't allowed to listen to secular music or that like threw away my secular music or anything like that. I always kind of like straddled both worlds, I guess, but I got very heavily involved into the Christian alternative music scene and Andrew and I both played in bands and went to shows all the time and listened to music. And so that became a very defining forming piece of my identity. Um, and even though, you know, we found a, a community of people who like look back on that culture with a healthy degree of skepticism, um, we also recognize that it formed us in really positive ways. And there's this niche of that sort of Christian cultural world that doesn't exist anymore, really. I mean, the the Christian music scene as it existed when we were kids is almost non-existent now. And there were really positive things about getting involved in a scene of people who kind of like shared beliefs and interests and, and, and cultural, you know, leanings and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I went to an evangelical high school. I went to both the only high school and only college of the evangelical covenant church, um, kind of by accident. And I didn't even really know it's denominational affiliation when I was in high school. Um, but when I went to North Park, which is the college that Andrew mentioned where he and I met, um, I sort of became more involved in the denomination and, and plunged a little deeper into the evangelical world. But um, it was actually going to a Christian high school that pushed me away from faith. And it was most of my teenage years that I considered myself sort of agnostic or searching. And yeah, um, I did have some Bible teachers at this Christian high school, ultimately, who kind of read scriptures through a lens of justice um, or teachers of color who kind of like guided me to what would become my faith. And ultimately I wanted to go to school to study biblical and theological studies. And, and that's what I did. And I was kind of on this search to find the black and white, like the gray sort of troubled me. And I figured if I really dove into the Bible that I would find some footing in black and white. And what I found again, is I had more teachers who kind of shaped my faith from a different experience was like comfort in the gray. So that's kind of where I've existed for the past, whatever, 20 years is like embracing the mystery, enjoying that I don't have the answers, um, mm -hmm. being skeptical of people who claim to have the answers. Um, but having the, that, that faith component still be like a core part of who I am. You know, I've only ever really worked full time for faith-based nonprofits. I work for a mainline church now, but Andrew and I are in similar places. Um, because we have, you know, we're friends, but we also have that shared cultural background and experience that um, he's saying kind of like kept us, um, you know, from knowing the same kind of stuff. And and one thing we talk about a lot is like, you can't really keep the flame alive that like nope. <laughs> the culture was really trying to have kids burn bright, be on fire for the Lord. That's a tough ask. Most of the people we've found, I think, who were expected to have that flame it's, it's kind of been burnt out since um and i feel like i've never really been on fire it's been like a low simmer for my whole life so 
that's kind of my my faith but it's but it's worked out for you <laughs> I, I guess so yeah it seems to be okay and the way you you've told your stories there's definitely a juxtaposition um but music was was one of the things that that mm. that you guys bonded over what did music mean to both of you during those sort of formative years and andrew you were dealing with a lot of shame you were dealing with a lot of you know to use like a therapeutic term like negative self-talk and yep. internalizing all this this negativity which i definitely very much relate to what was it about music for you that did it speak to you or sort of let you be easier on yourself or release some rage <laughs> or like like what role did did music play for you during that period and then john if you want to answer that as well I think, you know, one of the, my first experiences with music that wasn't something overtly Christian was when I moved to the Northwest suburbs of Chicago and discovered an alternative radio station. And, you know, you had bands like, Green Day and the Offspring and uh like these punk bands that I'm like I'm like I had no idea and like everybody in like 94 95 was talking about Green Day and I'm like I was like this this seems kind of like a big deal and talking about Nirvana and everything too um but also at the same time I discovered Weird Al and I'm like I'm like not only can music be wild and like aggressive and mm-hmm. It can also be silly, and these these sort of spoke to me at very di- in different ways, but like at a very visceral level. Like the first time I heard "Teenage Politics" by MXPX, it just sort of blew my mind, and it it just it just opened up uh, something it was like a key that just sort of unlocked something in my brain. And like, I was just forever in love with punk music from Mm. the, from, and so like, I couldn't, I had to get my hands on everything tooth and nail. I had to figure out how to like, and so that's when, you know, the, the Christian bookstore came and came into play. I was like, I got to check out what's going on at the Christian bookstore. I need to go to, these shows and like get these patches and you know uh get get stickers and things and like put <laughs> stickers all over my guitar case and that and that sort of thing and i was just like i was just fully i was just fully in in on all of it and uh it it just made me feel like when when you when you feel like you're sort of an outcast by being really one of the only Christian, like in my high school, there weren't a lot of Christian guys. I was mostly friends with girls uh, because it was just so much easier for me to be friends with girls because I'm just, just always been more emotional and, and sensitive. And like uh, I could relate to the girls a lot easier than I could do because they're, most of them were kind of assholes. Um, But like, I just felt, I felt alone in general, um, by being kind of a guy without a lot of guy friends, but the music just made me feel just something connected to something larger. Like the scene felt 
bigger than just than just myself and then going to like music festivals and stuff and being like, oh man, this is bigger than just the Northwest suburbs of Chicago. And now doing the podcast and having people be like, oh yeah, I was also at that Goaty Hook show at North Park in like 1998 or whatever. <laughs> I'm just like, this is, this is wild, man. And that is wild. <laughs> but it made me, it just ultimately made me feel less alone and less like a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's well put. I mean, I, I grew up in like an artsy house. My, my parents are both actors and so I guess like doing music and theater and art and stuff like that was always kind of part of my life. But it was in high school when I really latched on to punk rock hard and played in a punk rock band. And I think that is part of it is like feeling like a misfit or whatever and finding mm -hmm. a community where you can be who you are. And, um, I had a lot of, uh, I don't know, <laughs> Andrew and I talk a lot about on our podcast about how I'm like, I was mad about people selling out or mad about <laughs> bands yeah. not being political enough. And I wanted to fight the system, man. And, um, so that stuff drew me Don't in. Don't talk about partying. Talk about the system. <laughs> exactly. As I was mad when <laughs> bands would shift to talking about the beach. I'm like, not the beach capitalism. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it, one thing we talk a lot about on our show. So we, on our, we'll get into this more probably, but on the first season, we talked about the band MXPX on our second season, we talked about five iron frenzy. And I think one thing that five iron offered uh, to both of us was like this feeling in that community that you, you weren't quite at home in the sort of regular world and you weren't quite at home in the Christian world, but in this world, it was safe to like sort of question all those things. So yeah. I think I latched onto those couple of bands in particular that, gave me permission to question the things that seemed off about the church or off about American culture or off about my high school and the people there. So like, yeah, I, I think it was that, that sort of permission to question and feel like we were in a community together working towards something that really made me kind of dive into that scene and feel like a part of that sort of, um, you know, just music uh, alternative kind of scene at the time when it felt like you were really kind of staking your claim out as, as an individual or whatever. Right. And I'm really curious that for both of you, like did Christian bookstores play a role? Because I worked in a Christian bookstore in high school. That was my part-time job. Um, but basically the owner was a bit older, wasn't plugged into like anything really happening with music. And basically it was always dictated whenever the owner was around that you know point of grace and ffh and yeah <laughs> like those types of bands would play um and i would try to grab whatever sort of uh demos would be available in the back of the shop um and she would make those available to us um but i i sort of missed the tooth and nail experience and i know that for those that are huge fans like it is mm -hmm. significant there were like i did discover later and that's why you guys had me on the show when you did, because you did uh, a show about Brave Saint Saturn. Um, and that's when you had, had me on. I discovered like their later discography and stuff. Mm -hmm. But was it was Christian bookstores that, that plugged you into this scene and made that music available. And which did both of you work at Christian bookstores or? I did in college. Yeah, I never did. OK. All right. 
if I if if I did, I would have been <laughs> snagging all of those tasty discs. Yeah. I'd be I like, like demos came in. I don't remember seeing any. <laughs> no, I, I would have felt too guilty about it. And there's no right, way right. I would have stolen them. <laughs> uh, I famously did steal the MXPX poster off of my youth group uh, wall, but that's that's the most theft I got that, up to. Um, that seems very Christian punk. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> I was fighting the system. Um, uh, but I'll, I'll answer briefly because I feel like Andrew, you have you have more of the connection to that scene maybe, but like for me, so I grew up in the twin cities and now live in Chicago and Andrew lived in Chicago now lives in the twin cities. But when I was growing up there, I was like, we've talked about this, that I did go to the Christian bookstore, but it was one of like many record shops I could go to. And I was like on the lookout for used Christian punk CDs at secular record stores too. So it was part of the mm-hmm. experience. It didn't really shape me in the way that a lot of kids were shaped by having their access limited to only what was available through the bookstore. Um, but I did work for a Christian bookstore in college, the denominational bookstore of our, of our college. And the guy who ran it was like this guy who had a, a background in music promotion in the alternative Christian scene. So his office was like, there were all these, you know, glossy photos of, of bands from tooth and nail and other labels like signed and he had all this Christian music in the store so that I worked like back in the warehouse, but you better believe I was snagging joy electric CDs, <laughs> uh, at a discounted price, uh, left and right. Um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely part of my experience, but what was the bigger part was like at youth group, we've talked about this chart <laughs> that gets handed out, um, of like, if you like MXP or, you know, if you like green day, you'll like MXP right. and all these comparisons <laughs> that like aren't quite right. Um, yeah, that's Diamante <laughs> was right. The... Yeah. 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 Um, the label that put those out, but I was, that, that is how I really found out about Christian rock. So that was like a, a, a Christian bookstore initiative that made its way to my youth group that made its way to me that like informed me. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the bookstore experience was more, more of my thing in college. So Andrew may have more to say. Yeah. That, that chart, I carried that around in my wallet, you know, just it's, it's yep. questionable to, even say, you know, if you like it, 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 whoever at Diamante put that together, they're like, eh, just slap on whatever mainstream <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> punk bands exist and, and call it MXPX and slick shoes or whatever. And, you know, it, it, it's looking at it now weird. Like this is, this is so not even, not even close. It's like, if you like Pearl, if you like Pearl Jam, you'll love third day. Like, what are you, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> in what reality and what universe? Right. Uh, it's like, yeah, these, these guys kind of go. God of wonders is very much like Jeremy. <laughs> very much. Jeremy like Jeremy. <laughs> uh, anyway. So, the Christ, my local Christian bookstore was at Randhurst Mall in Mount Prospect, Illinois, and it was this bookstore called Lemstone. That's where I worked. Nobody yeah. knows about Lemstones. No, no way. <laughs> I think we talked about this when you were on our show, Blake. At the Fox Valley Mall in Aurora. Right. That's where. <laughs> I remember you saying that your experience there was sort of bookended by Prayer of Jabez and Purpose Driven Life, which. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> Yikes. That's right. Um, yeah. So I, I remember going in there and, you know, it was 
so when you walked in, it was straight into the entrance to the far wall. That was where all the alternative stuff was. And, and I remember they had like, I would, I would snag samplers. There was like, you know, BEC samplers and tooth and nail samplers and stuff like that, that you could get for a couple bucks. And, um, you know, then there's also, you know, learning about the Christian bookstore covers of albums. If there was like ever a controversial album cover that Mm -hmm. Christian bookstores would get a different cover of the album. And I remember hearing about that for the first time as it related to the POD fundamental elements of Southtown, which there was nothing like violent or sexual or scandalous about the cover at all with the exception of like there was some stuff on it that they thought was too like mystical or like maybe you know new agey looking wasn't there like a trinity sign or something i thought that was part of there but not even that but there's like there's all these all sorts of like kind of mystical elements going on and the christian bookstore version is almost all just a solid black box and like a small piece in the center was all that was left. And that's, that that's wild to me that they did that, but that's, we've learned other about other bands that people said like, Oh yeah, there's alternate covers to this, or this album was banned because it, it looked, it was too violent. Or they'd cut songs from some versions of the releases. Yeah. Like the MXPX, the MXPX live album didn't have the Ramones KKK took my baby away because, you know, I guess the KKK was, uh, was not, was not okay at the time. Now the evangelical (laughs) church has, you know, pretty much given their rubber stamp to all things, um, white nationalist these days it would seem um but yeah i i didn't grow up with with a a bunch of record stores near me it was all christian bookstores best buy or um like a used used cd stores and stuff and Mm -hmm. you weren't really finding a lot of christian christian stuff in there at least i wasn't but you know, here in the Twin Cities, you got all kinds of sick record stores. So yeah, man. John, John was John was living that dream. That's right. <laughs> so many up hours. St. Paul Cheapo spent combing through UCDs looking for just the right one. That's right. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm having like flashbacks to like I was while you were talking. I was like, what was the layout of our limestone? Mm. <laughs> we had when it was all the CDs were in the very back. Yeah, it was just a little mall store mm-hmm. on the first floor next to the J.C. Penney, <laughs> where all good music lives. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You really should have applied because at least my limestone, like, I had fed a lot of money back because they gave me like a thirty-five percent discount on books and music. Nice. nice. Get that uh, those sweet CD discounts, and also get your <laughs> footprints in the sand. You know, right. framed posters that you can hang up next yep. to your. Kincaid in the front and music in the back. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> that's my kind of party. <laughs> that's a, that sounds like a party I would not attend and or leave early. I don't know. He, I, from what we've learned about Kincaid since he passed, he seems like he would probably throw a rager. 
Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> he had a pretty uh pretty wild life actually. I feel like I remember as the painter that. of yeah. as the the painter of light uh had a kind of dark personal life. Interesting. I didn't I didn't know this. <laughs> yeah, do some Will googling do. after after this is done. <laughs> There's some interesting stuff about Thomas Kincaid. So, what led you guys to, you know, you guys have been friends since college. Um all white guys have to start a podcast at some point in their <laughs> yeah. life, especially if they're cis. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's this like it's it's somewhere between the quarter life and midlife crisis. You, you start a podcast. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just I just felt like that there, in terms of the podcast world, there wasn't enough straight <laughs> white dudes out there giving their hottest of takes mm-hmm. on any number of issues. <laughs> <laughs> Especially uh, we had the Christian scene. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you guys um, clearly still have a, a deep appreciation for this music and its influence on your lives. Um, what led you to, you know, start recording and publishing these conversations? You know, I think putting out a podcast at all requires a certain level of hubris to think that anybody would want to listen to you to begin with. Uh, especially in the landscape that we're in right now when we're just so saturated with podcasts. But, you know, I think ultimately if there's any, if there's a podcast that's going to be successful, it's a podcast that gets kind of niche and is a podcast of personality. Um, If you're talking about something that, has a passionate fan base and the people who do it can talk about it in a way that's relatively informed and entertaining, then I feel like you'll do okay. But like the last thing we needed was just like another general music or politics podcast because other people do those better already. But what is it that, I have a lot of experience and knowledge about, you know, Christian punk scene and, and John was the same way. And so I pitched the idea to him in early 2018 and we started working on it, banked a few episodes and then launched in June of 2018. And I didn't expect it to... I don't know if I expected it to last this long, but I, I don't think I really expected it to kind of pick up steam as much as it has in the last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And whether that's because of the pandemic or because of the fan base of Five Iron Frenzy, but the first and second seasons of our podcast couldn't be more different. Mm. <laughs> when the band has buy-in, to your podcast that makes all the <laughs> yeah. difference in the world. When when they treat you as, you know, like Five Iron was just so exceptionally cool to us. And they treated us as friends and like, you know, that they were just appreciative and they gave us so much of their time. We had, we had Reese Roper on the podcast three times. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, like these guys didn't have to do anything and they thanked us in the liner notes of their new album, you know, yeah. like as opposed to the first season 
where oh, toss you, an MXPX we, under the bus right now. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> look, look, I'm not going to toss MXPX under the bus. I, I just feel like MXPX fans in general like take themselves very seriously, and the difference between MXPX fans and Five Iron fans, even though there was some crossover, they couldn't be more different. You know. They, I mean, we're part of a Facebook group called I Hate Five Iron Frenzy. <laughs> and the whole, and this was started by Reese too. <laughs> and the whole thrust of the group is it's like a shit posting Facebook group where we talk, also talk about how we hate Five Iron Frenzy, you know? <laughs> and we, I mean, MXPX fans were like, would get up in arms if like about any of our takes. <laughs> you know? Like, we just like, people would just get like, I'm like, you know, these are just our opinions, like calm down guys. But like, um, and then, but like five iron fans have this sense of humor that is just so different than the sort of very serious nature of like certain punk, you know, it's just like very self-serious and mm-hmm. that couldn't be further from the truth with, yeah. with, with five iron. We were, Andrew pitched me the idea of an MXPX podcast, um, which felt niche enough and enough of something that we both knew about that we thought it could work. And I don't think either of us thought beyond however many episodes we ended up doing about them. I don't know, 40 or something like that. Um, but yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it was really, it was a chance to talk about this band that meant a lot to us when we were growing up, but more than that, it became a way to discuss culture, religion, and politics and the Christian Mm -hmm. cultural scene of the time. Um, so that's kind of been what continued even after. So we went through the entire discography of that band in the first season. The second, we decided to do Five Iron Frenzy. And those were kind of the two bands that meant the most to both of us from that world um, and kind of naturally allowed through their lyrics um, a chance to kind of dissect the culture and politics and, and you know, faith lyrics that were interesting um Mm -hmm. but i think what sustained us beyond that is like to your point andrew where we've found other people who again it might seem like a niche but like there probably aren't a ton of people who grew up in this world today you know are progressive leaning or look back on a lot of that and cringe but also still enjoy the music (laughs) that we yeah grew up listening to and the music that they continue to put out and so for this third season we started uh, a few episodes ago we're we're switching to genre where we're kind of doing uh multiple bands per season so we're doing skate punk right now uh we've done slick shoes and and we're starting dogwood next but i think it became this way to kind of you know the the bands the first three bands that we've covered have all put out records in the last couple of years that are all still actually good. Um, And it'll be kind of a mixed bag, I think, as we go forward and listen to some of these records that are 25 years old and have more cringy elements. But it does happen to be that we both enjoy looking back on the cultural scene and having some hot takes about its problematic <laughs> nature at times, but also we still really enjoy the music that the, and the music that they put out beyond just that time. So that's, that's part of what, keeps it interesting for us too yeah like if mxpx or five iron or slick shoes put out you know if they came back and the albums they put out were bummers yeah. it would have been like uh i mean it would have been <laughs> tough but like the fact that we just covered our most recent episode was 
uh, was covering the brand new Slick Shoes record, and we love that record. It yeah. shreds so hard. It's so <laughs> for a punk record. It's so metal and heavy. It's it's great, and you know, and not even when we cover bands that we love like MXPX or Five Iron Frenzy, we don't like, we're not doing fan. It's not, it's not like fan service. It's not lip service to the band. We're not being like, and here's another A plus <laughs> record. Here's another song. That's perfect. You know, we, yeah. we give our honest takes and we give our honest assessment of like, you know, it's, it's hard to like, cause if you grew up in the scene and then you like, okay, well, this is the context of the record at the time, but it's 2021 and this is a tough look for our dudes. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it, we just, we, we gotta be, we, we gotta be honest. We're going to just give our opinions and that's, that's just how it's going to be. We're not, we're, we're not, we've never tried to like do the podcast for like access to like the bands and be like, Hey, let's, you know, choose this band because I want to interview so-and-so it's just like, okay, so what bands connected with us the most and what albums rule, you know, and we've, mm -hmm. we covered slick shoes and it's like we, about half the records that we discussed were, we enjoyed and the other half, not so much, you know? So yeah, yeah, I mean, but the the format of your show is you you usually go track by track. You it's track don't by listen. Track. You might not listen to the entire track on the show, but you at least contextualize it, and you let like your listeners are also listening to the track while you discuss it, right. which exactly. I think is uh, you know it's it's fair to the music. Yeah, um, and it's it's also just a it's a better context for an audio show. Right, right. That was that was part of. I think so. Andrews, so our show is called Magnified Pod to anybody who's confused by that because MXPX was originally called Magnified Plaid. So it's a name that sort of outlived that particular iteration. <laughs> um, but I think that was, to your point, Andrew, like people's problem early on is like expecting it to be uh, purely positive as we went track by track. And instead, it's like, you know, we try to, we try to, use these songs often uh to be like here's why this moment in the christian cultural scene that's expressed in the song is it has some problems that we need to unpack a little um and right. it was the case in season two of five iron that they i mean they've five iron frenzy's just kind of become our friends now and they enjoy kind of getting into all that uh, unpacking it with us you know they're not precious about it and they're they're interested in saying yeah that was not great or yeah we you know where we were at theologically at that time is, is frozen on this record, but we've changed so much since then. So it's been an interesting opportunity to kind of unpack that with artists too. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's such an interesting sort of retrospective to be able to, to hear from the artists and, and have them respond and say, yeah, like mm -hmm. this is where we were. And right. I mean, explain yourself. <laughs> like I've, I've had a handful of, ccm or former ccm people on on my show and mm -hmm. like these people were expected to perform within a certain parameter so it's uh -huh. very interesting to be able to uh hear where these people sort of are now and how mm -hmm. they've yeah. changed because the expectation as you both know as being part of the culture is that 
you don't really change, but that's not the nature of humanity. <laughs> so right, <laughs> absurd. And you know, we just on our most recent episode, we had uh, our producer. He talked about this MTV news clip from '97 where they went to Tom, Tom Fest, Fest, yeah, and they interviewed a bunch of Christian kids, and it's the most unbearably cringy it's so hard to watch yeah people should go to our instagram and watch the video it's about seven minutes Mm -hmm. and it's so painful that how much of this christianity was so performative and you know and there's this one and they talk about mxpx in the segment and these kids are like clutching their pearls at like MXPX going to A&M from Tooth and Nail and they're like, you know, talking about like how they're worried about their walk because they're going to the secular label or whatever. Mm -hmm. And this one kid, it's like, you know, they started off their career, like, you know, playing music for the Lord and, you know, they should just continue to do that. I'm like the, the decision that they made when they were 15 that's they have they should continue to do that they forever (laughs) is that like you talked about like there's no growth there's no like it's not dynamic they can't they can't make any decision that's a that that is doesn't stay within your rigid framework of what it means to be a christian i mean right that's so absurd yeah and it's not it's not fair to the band it's not fair to them as people or artists for that matter yeah the nature of crossover artists is so, and sort of the controversy they would court just by crossing over, mm-hmm. like uh, Sixpence and Switchfoot. And mm-hmm. uh, did I think who was POD signed to when Alive became a big hit? I'm not even sure, but um, maybe they were already on a on a major label at that point. Oh yeah, they were definitely on a major at that point. But they, but those are those are like points of pride. I remember. But then, like, if they crossed a particular invisible line, then right, totally, then then they would be canceled. And right, to right, use right. <laughs> yeah, today's it's been lingo. interesting. I mean, unsurprisingly, like a lot of our listeners and people who grew up in this world, a lot of the band members have had the same journey where they they too no longer have faith uh, or that faith that they had at the time because, in the same way that we were kids listening to it, they were not that much older on stage spouting this stuff that they thought that they should. And not that it wasn't always genuine for people, but like, yeah, it's been interesting to track that too, that they've, a lot of these people have changed their beliefs since then too, naturally. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, The answer to your question about POD is that it came out on Atlantic. Okay. And (laughs) (laughs) they love the Lord. The, uh, it also came out on September 11th, 2001. That's right. Yeah. Do you remember that? I remember oh, going wow. to pick up. I remember going to pick up that CD from um, from the same Best Buy where I got my MXPX Teenage Politics album. Wow, I did not know that that came out that day. That's yeah. wild. But it was a Tuesday, and that used to be New New Music Day. That's right. Yeah, before it was Friday, which I still hate. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all about getting know. them. Uh, it's all about getting them them weekend spins, I guess. I don't yeah, know. weekend weekend streams. It's uh, the the streaming increases over the weekend. So yeah. <laughs> so you've done you've done MXPX, you've done Five Iron. Um, now you're branching out in this new season of dipping into different genres. What what are some things that that you are looking forward 
to covering in this season? And then also, what is your favorite, like, deep cut Christian artist or Christian album? Hmm. Um, I'll go first, just because I feel like I'm coming into the season with a little bit of a different perspective than Andrew. You know, like I said, I, I was heavily into Christian alternative music, but I also was into other music too. So Mm -hmm. I didn't have quite the deep dive that Andrew or a lot of our, uh, friends and listeners, um, have had with this world. So like, I don't know a ton of Christian bands super well. Um, I know the few, the the couple that we've talked about really well. And then there are a bunch of others that I know kind of well. So starting with this season, it's been really interesting for me because they're all bands that I knew, you know, we're, we're talking about, um, Slick Shoes, as we said, Dogwood, like Goaty Hook, Craig's Brother, Ace Troubleshooter, Value Pack, uh, Huntington's, bands like these that may mean something to some of your listeners. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I I don't know a lot of them super well, so it's it's providing me this interesting opportunity to, to dive deep into some of these bands. And some of them have really, like Slick Shoes was a band that I knew kind of well, but not super well. And I've loved going through their stuff and now I'm a fan and there's, you know, <laughs> we're starting some other artists where I'm like going to have a, maybe less uh, glowing reception to some of this stuff. And what's interesting is like, as we're kind of going into these more, um, you know, a bunch of bands per season, I feel like we're diving further into the, evangelical world in a way that we were yes. in the first couple because that was part of what we both liked yeah. about mxpx and five iron is they kind of like i said we're kind of questioning the church and the harder we're going into these bands that i didn't know super well part of why i didn't know them was because they're so evangelical <laughs> in their lyrics yeah. at least early on a lot of these bands so that's something interesting to unpack um as far as like a deep cut boy i don't know do you, do you have one at the ready andrew maybe that'll prompt me well I remember this is not a band that like this. I mean, speaking of people, artists who went a completely opposite direction, uh, there's this, there was this band called Calibretto 13. Yeah. And uh, they were sort of like, I can sort of point to Calibretto as what kind of inspired me to, try and write more acoustic punk rock because that was sort of this a, a similar style this mm. of, of like sort of fast acoustic based punk and with a this guy this guy named uh, Joe Whiteford who uh has this weird kind of high voice and he then <laughs> post calibretto started this band called harley poe which has like a horror aesthetic mm-hmm. and he <laughs> like draws all these like really dark and kind of like disturbing like cartoons and stuff and so he's he's somebody who is now quite a bit removed from that scene mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. couldn't be doing something more different than, <laughs> than calibretto 13 yeah yeah i i mean i i referenced joy electric which is not super obscure but if listeners don't know they were Mm -hmm. so there was uh ronnie martin and his brother jason martin and ronnie had joy electric and jason had starflyer 59 um Mm -hmm. but they've done other lots of other projects too and even though they're not obscure if, if folks don't know them 
they did carve out this interesting space in that world for sort of electronic music. Yes. Um, so I would say if you're into sort of synthy music and you're skeptical of the Christian alternative world of the nineties, like check out some of their stuff because it does, it, it was, it was pretty unique for that world at the time. So I'll, I'll, I'll go yeah. with that. Yeah. And they put out a record together called Bro- the, there was called brothers Martin. Mm-hmm. And it's great. Um, and yeah, also did, as, did one as of them, as, I think one of them also worked with uh, David Bazan on headphones sure too, did. Yep. Uh, which is, which is also a really solid album. Um, For sure. Yeah, that was the the Starflyer brother who was involved in headphones. I should also say, Dave Bazan, my number one dude of all time. Blake, you understand. Um, <laughs> yes. So, so Peter yes. the Lion is my is my answer for number one Christian band, if you can call them that. So. Right. Yeah, he was on Tooth and Nail for was it the Control EP? Was he on Tooth and Nail? I don't know if he was. Yeah. He, um yeah you might what, for the whole ep or because oh, that was i think that was whole, the one release. not yes. hold sorry sorry yeah. I, I said control not, yeah, sorry yeah. Whole. different albums <laughs> sorry bro um, but yeah out of this the is, christian <laughs> go ahead like no no this is like i'm i actually can speak somewhat yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. some, somewhat clearly about pedro and, and Pizan. out of the the purely like christian world my favorite album ever is probably winners never quit still so anyway that was my first pedro record yeah man it's very very good yeah very good my my uh obscure one i will add uh is the the self-titled album earth suit i think it's self-titled mm. um i don't know that I, earth suit is really it's like this really fast yeah it's got this really interesting blend of like it, it is like 2000s there is like this bit of like uh, rap on top of sure. uh, on top of this like really fast paced music that involves a bit of like electronic mm-hmm. uh, and some other influences. It's it's uh, it's an ambitious album. It's yeah, cool. it's, I was wrong. It's called Kaleidoscope Superior. Um, that's the name of the album. And unfortunately, it was one of the worst concerts I've ever been to. Uh-oh. Like the <laughs> oh, no. the album was incredible and then i went to uh, indiana wesleyan and they had this band that clearly has a ton of energy perform at like on a regular stage at the performing arts center (laughs) at our um at our college and it was terrible it was like (laughs) just uh they didn't let anyone jump or Uh. or or have like a uh, anything up front, and then I think it was. Couldn't no, open up they did not open up the, pr- <laughs> the pit. Uh, and the energy was just off. And like now, like as as an adult and uh, with a fully formed brain, I realized that the the singer probably like had a had a bad voice or something because mm. like the guy, the main singer, just couldn't carry a tune. He just he probably just had uh, you know something wrong with his voice that day. Um, yeah. Couldn't hear but the then monitors the, or something, Ugh. right? And the the guy who did the rapping just covered. You know, he just did as much as he could, right. um, and it worked out. But but uh, the next track is called uh, is called Wheel, and it's the coolest song you've ever heard about the weird angels in Ezekiel. Wow, so, wow, that's a yeah. good tease. I'm gonna go check him out. <laughs> Get him on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> um well as you were sharing your screen uh saw, saw my dude <laughs> that we 
no, I love Am I that predictable, John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, our yeah. boy Kevin Max, as a That's as a related right. artist in the Spotify yep. algorithm, talk about our boy Kevin Max all the time. Uh, Got to get him on the pod. Also, excellent Twitter follow. Also, he is pretty much a full exodus from the Christian like mainstream music scene. Yeah, uh, he's like calls himself like like a goth hippie like marxist like mm-hmm. jesus freak or something like that yeah he, he's like he's he's he couldn't be more different than michael tate who is singing for the newsboys these days mm-hmm. and and you know kevin max is like first and foremost is a poet and he focuses so much of his energy on writing thought-provoking and complex lyrics and he's not about like crafting the next pop radio pop hit he's putting out these like very avant-garde synthy electronic albums it's fascinating yeah Yeah. you should check out romeo drive and radio technica they're very unique like radio technica is like almost like house music and Romeo Drive is this concept album about the future that's like very, very synthy and bleepy bloopy. And I'm so, I'm so into it. He couldn't, it couldn't be further from yeah. CCM DC Talk <laughs> stuff. Yeah, he, see, so we should say he was a member of DC Talk. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Blake, I don't know if you followed him at all, but he would actually be an interesting guest, but possibly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bro. For yeah. Sure. I mean, he, he, we talk about wanting to get uh hashtag, get him on the pod, but like he would be <laughs> way more interesting and up your alley for this, for your purposes. Like, you know, I don't, you know, cause I think it was, a. Uh, <laughs> get was into the fields, the thoughts in the fields. Reese <laughs> talked about how he met, his his experience meeting kevin max i think it was at cornerstone and like and like kevin max had like no idea it was like who Reese was. he's like are you in a band and he's like yeah if i ran frenzy he's like that's a band and we just <laughs> he's like yeah we and like played. i guess whoever who yeah, we just played on the main stage and like whoever was with kevin max i guess was like kind of horrified that he didn't know who he was and but i'm just like he just seems like he's so like focused on his own thing that like yeah he's probably not like knowing what the latest ska band was in like 1998 or whatever. But I love that. That's like that, like that one experience with Kevin Max is like, that's what, who are you? That's a band. Oh, okay, cool. Big but time by anyway. Kevin Max by accident. Mm-hmm. More than likely. Yeah. That's our, our podcast is, uh, you know, 50%, talking about music and then like 50% tangent. Yes. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. And I think you have a great format to, you know, explore those tangents and everything and then bring it, bring it back to music. So it's, it was really great to, to talk to both of you and uh, just learn a little bit more about both of you, John, you and I are connected uh, mm-hmm. through business things. And Andrew, I think I met, I met you once at a party um, long and time ago, a long yeah. time ago. And, uh, and, you know, anytime we, I get to chat with anyone, uh, not directly in my household these days, <laughs> is, yeah. is 
a novelty and this is um this has been great to to hear about uh about your own stories as well as what you've been able to to do in this sort of fun community that you've been able to build around music uh, and around this sort of music that is tied to these things that can be for can be fraught but can also remind you of the good from that part of your life mm-hmm. so yeah Sure. Uh, thank you, thank you, John and Andrew, for for talking with me for um, for so long and 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 sharing your your passion. Um, where can people find the show? Uh, where can they find either of you online? And where can they find a place to support you? Um, they you can find us on the socials, uh, Magnified Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can. Uh, email us at magnifiedpod at gmail.com. We have um, a Patreon, patreon.com slash magnifiedpod. We put out an episode every Monday. Um, And as John was saying, we are covering the skate punk genre this season. Uh, So we're going to be covering a variety of bands um, with plans for future seasons to be to cover other genres um we've talked about doing a more indie season which would probably cover bands like pedro the lion or michael knott things the bands of that sort um and doing like a hardcore slash you know you know hard rock season and uh so that's that's kind of the plan for the future but um and if you also you can reach out to us on our individual twitters if you want to um you can find me on twitter at i am just a dude <laughs> and you can find <laughs> me at on tape with john um like thanks so much we it, it's an honor to be on the show we love the community uh that you've uh, established with exvangelical and, and all the work that you do so thanks Thank you. I, I, I appreciate it. Thanks, both of you, for, uh, for talking with me tonight. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. See ya. <laughs>